Welcome to the Behind Their Business Podcast, the show that's peeling back the curtain and showing what's actually happening behind the scenes of running a business. I'm your host, Steph Blake, and each week you'll hear from women at all levels of business who are showcasing their stories of struggle and triumph as they juggle business ownership with day-to-day life. Join us to hear inspiring stories and strategies for starting and growing your own business. Hey everybody, Steph Blake here, and I am so glad that you are here for this week's episode. As usual, it is going to be amazing, so you are in for a treat. But before we dive into that episode, I want you to join our private and 100% free and supportive community for business owners to connect in called the Confident CEO Community. So if you have not joined us yet, here is your invitation to come and join us. Each week I also do a live training to share my best tips and tricks for scaling an online business the easy way. We talk about strategy, team building, mindset, tools, automation, and everything in between to help you confidently step into the CEO role in your business. So you can go to confidentceocommunity.com to join us today. And now let's dive in to this discussion with our incredible guest. Welcome back to the Behind Their Business podcast, or if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. I am so glad you're here. Today, our guest is going to share about her experiences of coping with a chronic illness while running a business, raising four kids, which kind of blows my mind, (laughs) just that part alone, and still living an amazing, fulfilling, and joyous life. She actually does something really cool, which she helps people take their sewing hobby and turn it into a small business where they can start to earn money from their talents. And before we hit record, I was telling her that I'm thinking about knitting and she crochets. So she'll talk more about that. But I I just thought that was so cool. I've never heard of anybody doing that before, but she also has some really cool online courses that help people turn their dreams into a reality. And she will also be sharing her story about chronic illness, like I mentioned, and overcoming multiple sclerosis. So please help me welcome Nikki Merrick. Nikki, thank you so much for being here. Oh, no, thank you. I'm I'm just really made up that you've asked me to be on your podcast. Oh, I'm I'm glad you have a really great story. So I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of people and help a lot of people with this. So let's just start from the beginning. I know you mentioned that you um, you were sewing, I'm sorry, crocheting and then selling those items. So is that kind of what got you started with your business journey or like just take us on the journey? So the business journey, I've been in business 15 years this July and the crochet came a little bit later. I I started as um, an event photographer. Um, I started a company called Pink Giraffe Photography and I would go around at events all over the UK photographing people at those events and selling them prints. And I used to specialize in an alternative. So I did pagan weddings. I did a biker rally. I did pagan festivals, uh, a fairy festival, which was amazing because I love fairies and anything a little bit different. Um, And I did that only for about a year or so. And I I had other companies with my husband as well. And we got married during this time. And I also found out I had MS during this time. And within 24 hours of finding out I was pregnant, I got the phone call to say I might have MS as well. So a lot of things changed that year. (laughs) I'm I'm just like, 
you just said so many things at one time so. <laughs> I'm so sorry it gets um I don't like to go on too much about each individual thing because uh, there's a lot of things <laughs> but yeah so we, we were running a nightclub and it was like a live music venue it had a biker's bar it had a restaurant Sergeant Pepper's restaurant and um yeah this big live music venue on the side and while we were running that I registered it as a a, a wedding venue and we got married there <laughs> and I dressed as a fairy with wings. My bridesmaids had wings and it was amazing. But that was 2008 and the whole sort of financial crisis and um, recession happened. And I'd like to say that I really made a really good business decision to get out at that point, but I didn't. It was purely by chance. We just decided to leave because it just wasn't, it wasn't a viable business the way we wanted it to be. And within... We got married and then we left. And within a month or two, I had problems with my legs. Now, I'd actually had these problems as a teenager. I've been unwell since I was 13. But during my 20s, I'd been all right. And at this point, I'm 29 or 30, I think, something like that around there. And so I said to my, he was my husband by this point, yeah, to my husband. I said, this is like what happened to me when I was 13. My legs are just not listening to me. They're, they're not doing what I want them to do. And so I was sent for an MRI as a priority. And by the time the results came back, it'd be about three weeks later, I'd fallen pregnant. And so I did a pregnancy test. Yay, pregnant. And the next day, boom. Oh, by the way, there's swelling on your brain. You might have MS. So it was a bit of a shocker. You know, we're still in our first few months of marriage. We've just left a massive business and we're trying to fill that void. And two things jumped right in and filled it for us, I guess. But I suppose if you're going to have two life-changing events, you might as well have them at the same time because then it's only one life-changing event. Otherwise, you've got to go through the whole thing twice. So yeah, do it all at the same time. And I think that that was okay. But so yeah, to, to skip forward a little bit because it really could go on the story. <laughs> we, we moved to the other side of the country to be closer to where I'm from, where my family are. And so we moved my business and his business because we had our separate sole trader businesses as well as the limited company that ran the nightclub and the three kids we had at the time, you know, uprooted them out of school and we bought um, a derelict building that's listed. And I don't know if it's the same in the US. We have listed buildings in the UK and it's like you've got the really old ones like Stonehenge, which is a grade one protected monument. And then you've got houses that are of interest and you've got grade two, which is what ours is. And so we lived in the garden in a caravan for four years while we were trying to get the property fit to be lived in. And we ran a few other businesses. We had a cleaning company, a T-shirt printing company. But all the while, I kept Pink Giraffe going. And from obviously, I wasn't doing event photography because I got, you know, MS and babies. And oh, yeah, I had a baby as well. I forgot that bit. <laughs> I had a baby somewhere in there. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Um, I changed Pink Giraffe to becoming, I was selling like baby clothes in bright colors, rainbow colors, sticking with my alternative theme that I always had with the photography. I kept that kind of customer base of things being a little bit different, a bit alternative. And I used to sell goth stuff like black baby grows and rainbow baby grows and mittens and hats and stuff because I had a little boy, but we're very gender neutral. And I don't mean that we've dress him in brown I'm, I mean we, we use bright colors and he wears I mean he's 12 now and he'll wear whatever he likes he loves rainbow colors he loves pink and purple and you know so that's that's sort of where we're at with that and it, it during this time I picked up my hobby of sewing which I've always had and 
you know, to move it forward again, my friend asked me to make a dance costume for her daughter, who's a competitive pole dancer. And I'm like, oh, wow, I would love to do this. You know, I've always wanted to, but I didn't really have the excuse to do it. So I made a costume for her and uh, everyone liked it. And then people started asking me. And before I knew it, I was booked up six months in advance making costumes full time. And by this point, uh, Zed, who's my youngest son, is probably, I don't know, about or he's a bit older, so he's not needing all the attention that a baby needs. And so I was able to devote a lot more time to that. But over the years, my MS has progressed. And um, about six months after we moved here, I had to start using a wheelchair and I was diagnosed as secondary progressive, which means I don't have relapses of MS. I'm just basically progressing and getting worse all the time. Um, so that's a bit rubbish. It's not a lot of fun, but it's kind of easier to manage because you know exactly what you're going to get. When you have relapse remitting MS, you can be doing fine and walking about, going into work every day. And then out of the blue, you can wake up and not be able to walk, which is what had happened to me as a teenager. So when you've got progressive MS, I know that every day I'm not going to be able to walk. Every day I'm in a wheelchair. I know that I can't do those things and that my legs don't work and that this, that and the other happens. So it's sort of easier to cope with. But we had to make a lot of changes with the house. You know, I've got a wheelchair lift. I've got a, a wet room that's all accessible. And I've got a carer that comes in who's actually one of my best friends now because she's been working for me for oh, about nine years. And she's just so amazing that she's one of my best friends. She's, you know, she's really important to me. So she gives me a lot of help and support. I, I could not do all the things I do without her. Um, and eventually I had to stop making the dance costumes because physically I can't do it anymore. But I really wanted to stay in the industry. So I started helping other people who were running sewing businesses, but were struggling with marketing or website or, you know, they didn't really know what to do. And I thought, I've got 15 years of business experience here running all kinds of different businesses. You know, I don't need to help them with sewing. They know how to sew, but I can help them with business. So I started doing that and then developing courses and writing blog posts and helping people with that. And I've just launched a new course, which is Start Your Sewing Biz in One Day, which is for people right at the beginning who really just want to get started. And yeah, I, I, I'm helping those people turn their dream into reality, like you said. And, and it's just lovely to watch them grow and experience the things I experienced um, because we all love what we do so much. It's just a really fun business to be in. You said so many things. I'm trying to figure out. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm so glad you did. So first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. And I know that you condensed a lot into a very small amount of time. So I'm just trying to wrap my brain around everything that you just said, because your story is so incredible. So one, one thing that caught my eye is you said you lived in a van for four years. A caravan. I know that's a different okay. thing in America, isn't it? So um, we have like Torah caravans that you tow behind a car. And then uh -huh. we have like static caravans that you have at like seaside resorts over here. And I think it'd probably be similar to a trailer in, you know, like a trailer. I, I feel you know, like it's we, like an RV. like a No, but we do have one of those as well now. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, we, we have an RV too, but we don't live in it. Not yet. We will do one day, I think. So it's basically, you can't tow it. It's stationary. It's very thin like a caravan. And we just parked it up in the garden uh, while we were renovating the house. And how many kids were in there with you? At that um, time? So we had the little one, the baby in with us and the three 
the other three are much older. They're actually my, they're not biologically mine, but I've raised them as mine. So they were all teenagers at the time and they were in a tour caravan next door. <laughs> so oh so goodness. they had their own little caravan together. And yeah, so they, they were much older. There's, there's 17 years between the eldest and the youngest. They're actually born on the same day, believe it or not, which is kind of weird, but cool. <laughs> that is very cool. I always yeah. tell people, so my youngest brother is he'll be nine this year and I'm 33. So people always think that that is yeah. very strange. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, I was listening to one of your previous shows about unconventional motherhood and mm-hmm. I thought it was absolutely brilliant to have that lady on. I, I forgive me for not remembering her name, but her name's Christine. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you. Um, people just don't talk about this enough that, that motherhood looks different for everybody. And our family is not, you know, a conventional family. I'm raising another woman's children. She actually abandoned them. She didn't want to raise them. She just stopped being their mum. And that was before I met my husband. I mean, I actually, I went to university when I was 25 because I I came back from traveling uh, in Australia and everyone's like, oh, you're going to settle down now. I'm like, oh no. And I panicked and I thought, right, if I go to university, I'll buy myself three more years before anyone starts asking me to settle down again. And in my final year, I met Chunky, who is my, now my husband. And it turns out the, the man for me already had three kids. <laughs> so I had three kids by the time I graduated, which wasn't the plan. But I would not change it for anything because I absolutely love and adore them as my own. I've raised them as my own. And I wouldn't have my little one if it wasn't for them, because by being their mom, um, their stepmom, if you like, I experienced motherhood and went, oh, I quite like this. <laughs> it's actually quite good. And that led to their little brother being born. So, yeah, it's, it's not what I planned, but it is pretty amazing. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Also, just like another part of your crazy story. Which <laughs> I told is you, so cool. I tried to condense it and I missed so much out. <laughs> no, yeah. no, that, that's totally fine. So. I would love to know, um, well, I actually do have a a random question. So do your kids help with the business at all? Like, do they do anything or have they in Um, the past with any of the businesses? Not to a great extent. Um, The girls are two older girls. They were adults by the time we had the cleaning company. I think they were like 17 and 19 or no, maybe a bit more. Anyway, sorry, they were older. And so they did work for the cleaning company um, to cover uh, if we needed, if we were short on staff, they, they did a bit of cover, just earned a bit of extra money. Um, I employed them both actually as carers for my gran as well, because physically I can't look after my, my, my um, family, you know, my older family. And my, my dad was ill and my, my gran was in her nineties and, and they helped me in that way. And I say what they've helped more with is with Zed when he was a baby they did so much to help me because obviously I got this diagnosis hanging over me and it was all like, Oh my gosh, I've got three teenagers and a baby and now I've got MS. And, you know, they used to do so much to help. They used to change his bum. They used to go and fetch things. They used to help me with meals, you know? Um, so although they haven't worked in the businesses as such, um, I mean, have done in some ways, but just not to a massive extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was actually going to be my next question, how you were managing motherhood in a wheelchair. And I'm, I, I want to, I don't want that to come off as like rude. I, I I'm just, no, I'm, genuine, I'm genuinely curious because I mean, my son, he, he wants me to do everything with him. Like I, I could not imagine how, 
how life would be any other way. So if you don't mind sharing, I would, I would love to hear your take on it. No, I don't mind talking about it at all because I think the more people are aware of it, the more accepting they will be because I do get judgments when I'm out. Some people are not kind. Uh, I've had people look at me as if, especially when Zed was really little, when he was a toddler and holding my hand, they, and we'd be walking along, he'd be walking along next to the wheelchair. And I'd have people looking and I can hear them sort of whispering like, oh, why she got that child with her? And it's like, what? <laughs> and Zed had perfect timing once at the supermarket because he used to, I mean, even right from being when he was old enough to reach, he used to pack shopping bags for me. He used to load the trolley for me. And the supermarket checkout lady was being a little judgmental. I could see her sort of, she didn't say anything, but she was giving me those looks. And Zed just turned around in the perfect time and he just went, I love you, mummy. I was like, oh, get in, Zed. That is so cool. <laughs> Good boy. <laughs> so I think when I was pregnant, I worried about it a lot. So I got this new baby coming, which was a new thing for me, although I'd been a mother to three kids. I hadn't done the first seven years. And I was worried about that. Like, oh, gosh, am I going to be able to do this? And then there was the whole MS thing, what was happening there. And I thought, I don't want my baby to grow up with a disabled mummy. Like, that would be horrible for him. But what I've learned and, and what he's taught me, really, is that he is the most compassionate little guy because of my disability. So when he was, say, like four or five, we'd go to like a play park and if a child fell and was crying for whatever reason, he was the kid that went and got them and took them to their mom or their dad. He was the one that went and made sure people were okay. And he's got this compassion and consideration for people that I don't think kids that haven't experienced what he has have gone through. So I try and see the positive in it really, you know, and he would just say that he doesn't have to queue at Alton Towers, which is a theme park over here. So he just likes oh. that. He thinks, you know, there's a bonus for the wheelchair. We don't have to queue. So we just take whatever bonuses we can. That is true. That is true. You never have to wait in lines. That's, that's actually funny <laughs> that he says that. Oh, but that's so great. I, oh, he sounds like such a sweet little boy. I would love to meet him. Well, I mean, he is about to turn 13, so oh, I'll just okay. reserve a little bit of judgment on that. You know, we're, we're getting to that stage, but it's quite interesting. My husband works away now. He's a truck driver in the week. Um, he used to be in the music industry, but he lost his, well, he had to let his business go during the first lockdown because there was just no music industry happening. But fortunately, he had an HGV license, so he drives trucks, but he's away. He sleeps in the cab. Monday to Friday and so there's just me and Zed in the week and and Ronnie my friend when she comes and in the week Zed will do anything I ask him and he'll do it normally pretty much within a few minutes you know if not straight away on the weekend it can be a little nightmare it's like yeah one sec in a minute yeah I'll do it later and I'm saying to his dad like I swear I swear in the week he does it for me when I ask but as soon as his dad's there he can like let it loose a bit and just go right I'm a teenager now and not worry so much so yeah I just have to promise my husband that he does know how to behave in the week <laughs> for sure I mean I think that's also good for him to experience that being a quote unquote normal teenager who doesn't listen to their parents. Yeah, right? definitely. I wouldn't want him to not have those sort of regular normal, if you like, experiences. It's, mm -hmm. it's good for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I would love to know what have you done to maintain this positivity? Because clearly there has been a lot that's happened in your life and you're just like, if nobody's watching the video, you can't see, but she's just smiling nonstop and I love it. So I'm assuming you do this with your clients too, when you work with them, like trying to find the positive in every situation, but 
did you do anything specific to, I don't even know, like journaling or like positive affirmations? <laughs> Is there anything that you do? Or are you just normally a very think, happy, uplifting person? I think it's just who I am, I think. But I do have a theory that what I experienced as a teenager has kind of helped shape who I am. So, and I don't think you could fake it either. I don't think you could just go, right, I'm going to smile all day today and everything will be dandy because it won't. That's, that's not how life works. But I do find it very easy to find the positivity in everything. But if I look back, I mean, I'm, I have to think now. Now, when you're in your 40s, you have to sort of think how old you are. I'm 44. I have to check. I'm not, I'm not always too sure, but I'm 44. And when I was 13, I woke up one Monday morning and I couldn't move, literally could not move my body. And they didn't know what was wrong. They, they didn't even investigate MS at the time. I don't know why, because I was 13 and, you know, I don't know what they were saying, but um, I had this temporary paralysis and it, and it happened 11 times, I think, of over the next, well, between age sort of 13 and 18, I was in and out of hospital with this temporary paralysis that kept happening to me. And I think that first time when I laid there, I was a couple of weeks in hospital, just laid on my back. And they didn't even used to sit you up back then in, in hospitals. What we're thinking like early nineties, I think. And they didn't get patients dressed. They didn't get them out of bed. You were just left there. You just laid there. And I had a lot of time to contemplate life at 13. And I remember thinking, is this it? Is, is this my life now? I'd been a dancer since I was about three. I'd been very active doing all sorts. Of, and all I ever wanted to do was dance. And that's why I was really excited about making the pole dance costume because <laughs> I loved it um, and I, I've only really realized this in the last sort of 10 years or so that that is probably why I enjoy every single moment of excuse me <coughs> sorry no you're fine bless you <laughs> it's because I talk so much isn't it uh, yeah it's um, <laughs> I think that is one of the reasons why I can be so motivated and positive about things is because I really did think that might have been it at age 13. I thought that was, it was over. So every time an opportunity came my way, particularly in my twenties, I went for it. I was like, I'm going to do all the things. And so that's just what I live by. I, I carry on wanting to make the most of every day, every opportunity. Um, but I guess also it's recognizing when you need to stop. That's quite a, a big part of how I cope with it now. Yeah, absolutely. When you say knowing when to stop, what does that specifically mean? So because I've got this kind of go get it all kind of personality, when I was first diagnosed, one of the big things I struggled with is how do I overcome this? Like, how do I overcome what is happening to me? And with time, I learned that you overcome it just by living, just by getting on with things. You just crack on. That's how you overcome it. But I used to fight it so much and I used to push and push and push. And I'd push myself to such extremes physically that I'd be wiped out for a few days. And I guess if it wasn't for my husband and the support he gives me, which is amazing, he's incredible. I don't think I would have realized when I needed to stop because he'll often notice it in me before I do. And he'll like, he'll be like, Nick, you need to stop. And I'm like, I don't want to. I want to do this. And he's like, no, if you don't stop now, you won't be doing anything tomorrow or the next day. And I think over time, I've come to realize that he's right and that I do need to stop. And so now he's not here in the week. I have to be able to manage this myself. And I get up in the morning and if it's like 
if everything's hurting, if I've got brain fog, if I'm struggling cognitively, because that does happen with the MS, thankfully not often, I have to be okay with myself that I'm not going to work that day. I don't book any appointments other than um, special ones like this. And I will plan my week around this appointment to speak with you today. So I haven't worked much today at all because I know if I overdo it mentally, cognitively, I might not be able to function as much. So I can't book regular appointments. I don't do client work. I don't do one-to-one -one work. I literally work when I'm able and I don't work when I need to not work. And so that's why I do all the online courses and, and writing blogs, because sometimes I work in the middle of the night and sometimes I'm in bed in the middle of the day. And it's about accepting that that's what my life looks like now and that this is what we do. And I home educate Zed, which makes it a bit easier because I don't have to worry about school and stuff. So um, so that makes it easier because he's at home and I don't have to like get packed lunches ready or anything like that. Yeah, no, that that. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, because that makes a lot of sense. And it's also so amazing that you do have that flexibility with your schedule, with your time, because unfortunately, a lot of people don't. And especially people with MS who are in your situation, if they have to go to a job every day, I can imagine that that's probably pretty yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it, I mean, I wasn't like this straight away. It has taken me years to get to a point where I can be okay with not doing things because the guilt that you feel like I should be doing something, you know, especially when my husband's out working, I'm like, I should be working too. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And it's, it's about accepting that this is what is okay. And, and this is how it is now. Mm -hmm. And I know this is not the same thing by any means, but I mean, I have felt that way just as a mom having a business. Like if my yeah. husband's at work, for example, and my son wants to play with me, well, that takes me away from doing work. And then I feel guilty because I'm not working. And then if I'm working and I'm not spending time with him, I feel guilty. So of course yeah. not the same thing at all, but the guilt, the guilt is a real thing. Really I, think, I think it is that although it's not the exact same thing, it, what you experience is the same thing because you're feeling guilt about something that you shouldn't feel guilty about. And so it is the same thing. It doesn't matter what is causing that guilt. It's still being felt. And so it still needs to be acknowledged and accepted for you to not feel the guilt anymore. Does that make well, sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I've done a lot of, done a lot of work around not feeling guilty anymore. And I've, I've gotten to a good point where I don't feel that way. I will be completely honest and say there was one time in the past month or so where my husband or my husband, my son wanted nothing but to play with me. He was like pounding on my office door and screaming and crying because he wanted me. And my heart was just breaking because I was on a client call. And I was Aww. like, oh, my heart. all I want to do is go out there and hug him. So I actually did. I told my client, I was like, you know what? We have to take a second. I have to go hug my son. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's totally fine. <laughs> right? I think so. that people in business have progressed now and people are far more accepting of that. And particularly with lockdown has really brought it into everyone's like into their front of their mind, really, that life happens. And mm -hmm. I, when I first started 15 years ago, it wasn't corporate, but like you, you couldn't put a mobile phone number on a website because, oh, that meant you were a cowboy and you might not be there next week. You had to have a landline. And I held on to that for so many years. And then I realized that I'm paying for this landline that no one has phoned in about six years. <laughs> so I got rid of that. <laughs> I don't even have my mobile number anymore on the website anymore. I don't need it. People don't need to call me anymore. And I think people accept that people who are working, particularly working from home, have a life. And like, I don't know if I'd want to work with someone that didn't because that's what makes us who we are, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, 
I don't want to say purposely, but I attract a lot of moms into my community too. So a lot of my clients are moms. So they understand. So if there's a screaming child yeah. somewhere, either on their end or on my end, we, we all, we all understand what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. I know that this is going to help other people who have chronic illness feel like they're not alone and just remembering to give themselves grace because one day is definitely not like the next. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. And if somebody wants to connect with you or potentially get one of your um, courses and learn from you, where can they do that? Oh, thank you so much. I've really loved chatting to you. It's been really nice. So I hope it is sort of useful for people. I'm actually just switching to my personal brand, which is nikkimerrick.com. And my favorite place is Instagram. So if anyone wants to look me up, it's I am Nikki Merrick on Instagram. And that's N-I-C-K-Y-M-E-R-R-I-C-K. Perfect. And we'll put all of that in the show notes too for easy access. So thank you, Nikki. Thank you again for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Behind Their Business podcast with me, Steph Blake of the Blake Collective, which is a female-led company focused on helping online entrepreneurs start and scale their own businesses. If you or someone you know would make a great guest for the show, we would love to interview you. Visit our website at behindtheirbusiness.com to submit a short application and learn more about the show and how you can support our mission. If you enjoyed the show, we would love for you to share it with a friend or a loved one too. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you again for listening to the Behind Their Business podcast.